people, do you want to hear a rant on why getters and setters are terrible? Well, stay tuned. My name is Eric Normand, and I help people thrive with functional programming. So, getters and setters are a terrible practice. I believe that this is an objective fact that I will demonstrate with a watertight argument. I'll make a case and there there will be no possible way you can refute. Now, I'm not talking about when you need getters and setters because you're using some API that requires a class that has getters and setters on it. Okay, there's pragmatic reasons, practical reasons to use getters and setters. Um, and I'm, I'm just not talking about that. I'm talking about writing some greenfield software that has no such constraints and using getters and setters as a way of modeling your class. So here's the thing about it. Getters and setters turn each class into a glorified data structure. That data structure has its own bespoke API, as in it has a get X and a set X and a get Y and a set Y. It's bespoke. You have to learn that. Consumers of this class have to learn that, and they have to write code just for your API. API design is hard. You can't just throw it together like that. It's a new thing to learn. There's no reuse. No other system has that, no other class has that set of uh, uh, methods on it. So it's totally unique, totally bespoke. You have to learn how to use it. But it's worse than that because in terms of data modeling, all you're doing is kicking the can down the road. You are saying, for instance, oh, well, I need a set X because X might change. It might need to change after I've instantiated this object. And I'll grant you that X might need to change. Okay, I'm granting that even though I, I don't like mutable state I'm not I'm not fighting that fight right now let's say X does need to change the problem is you're kicking the can down the road you're putting a set X on there but you're not modeling or putting any thought into what that change means you're just saying I'm gonna let some other part of the code decide when X changes and under what conditions and why it might want to change it. Okay, so let me give um, a more concrete example. Let's say you have an employee class and the employee has a salary and so you need to say, well, the salary can change, right? So I'm gonna put a set salary on the employee class. But the salary of an employee can, I mean, what does it mean to change the salary of the employee, right? Did you 
did you make a mistake when you entered in the salary and now you need to correct that mistake? Right? You left off a zero or something. Oops. When that that's a certain action you're taking on this employee. You're correcting a mistaken salary. Or what if they get a raise? That's a different kind of thing that could happen to this employee. Or I mean they could they could like have their salary decreased, you know, as some kind of punishment or maybe the company's going through trouble and they say, well, we have to pay everybody 10% less. I've heard of that happening. Um, but that's not really a correction to a mistake. It is a change. It is a, you know, someone decided that you need to be paid more or less. And, um, what you're doing by saying set salary is you're saying, well, you can set it to anything you want, right? You can set it to, to $3 with no notion of, of how the business runs, how, what, what kinds of changes you might actually expect. You're just kicking the can down the road. And what that turns this employee into is simply a data structure that stores whatever information is in there, including the salary, and makes it very hard to do any kind of logic with this employee, except change stuff on it and read it back. The same thing happens with getters, right? You're just saying, I'm, I, I need to get the salary out and some unknown point in the future, some other system needs to read the salary, and so I'm going to return it. I, mean, I need to have a way to get the salary out. You're totally kicking the can down the road. Someone else is going to have to come along, and some other piece of code, so totally not controlled by this employee class, which is the whole point of the employee class, is to maintain some kind of abstraction barrier, some kind of conceptual encapsulation of what it means to, to operate on an employee, you're totally kicking it to some other part of the code to decide, when should I read this? What, should, what can I do with this salary? So you're, you're actually not doing data modeling at all. You're just passing the buck. If you look at uh, the original object-oriented systems, small talk, they did not do this. They did not use, they, they were trying to get away from this. They weren't trying to recreate data structures but with methods on them. They wanted a higher level notion where each thing added meaning. Each method added meaning to the data. There's no meaning when you just read it right out directly or set it to whatever you want. You gotta add meaning. So the meaning would be this person got a raise. That means something. Or we made a mistake, we had to correct the salary. Right? This is another piece part of the meaning that you're adding. It it means totally different things to the system. 
Um, the same with getters. If you can just read it right out, you can do whatever you want with it, any kind of logic you want. So this is why they're terrible. It's a terrible practice. It encourages the, the use of classes and the instances of those classes as just data structures to just store stuff for you for your other parts of the code, the other parts of the code as algorithms. They totally break the notion of encapsulation. They totally break the notion of uh, a coherent, cohesive abstraction. And they're just, they're just places in memory, scratch paper that you can write all over and read from. And you're relying on these other parts of the code to maintain whatever invariance you're trying to maintain. Because that's what it's for. That's what the class is for. You have a few pieces of data in there and you need them to maintain a certain relationship. As one changes, the others need to change. And by just having these getters and setters, you're just throwing that out the window. And all you're left with is like these little code organization units. But it's the same code, it's just in in different files. You haven't actually made anything new and useful. You haven't constrained the problem to the domain. You've just opened it up. All right, that's my rant. Getters and setters, I, I don't know why we do them. I've read a lot about them. Um, I read somewhere that it was used as an example. This, this is the origin of getters and setters, okay? It was used as an example in the Java bean spec. Never intended as a recommendation. It was simply... Here's how, here's an, a simple way you could create this little bean that, you know, stores and, and uh, gives you back data. It was never meant as a recommendation. The people who wrote the spec say that. They say this was not our intention. We wanted something with more semantics to it, more meaning to it. But... People said, oh, let's do that. That looks easy. And all the IDEs make it really easy to just you click a couple buttons and you get all the getters and setters made for you. And that's, that's where we're at. That's what most people think object-oriented programming is. The same old, you know, imperative programming, but with things stored in objects instead of instead of in variables and structs it it goes much deeper than that and unfortunately you know object oriented programming now is is too broad and and diffuse to have any kind of real power to it sorry to say there are people doing really good things with it with object-oriented design and and 
um, thinking about how how the code should be, uh, but unfortunately they are small voices in a loud cacophony of getters and setters, and it sucks. Um, my next rant will be about how closure maps give you the getters and setters for free and people overuse them. All right. Thank you very much for listening to my rant. If you want to hear other rants on other non rants, sometimes more informative than this one, you can get all the future and past episodes at lispcast.com slash podcast, where you find text, audio, and video of all of this, links to subscribe, and links to get in touch with me on social media, including email, Twitter, and LinkedIn. All right. May all your higher order functions be pure. I'm Eric Normand. Rock on.